as we continue through this series, looking at Jesus talking to these followers who by this time are just gathering in mobs and masses. There's hundreds of them. They heard about this miracle maker, this, this master teacher that was, had the ability to woo people. And, and then they're gathered on this sermon or on this mountain, and he's feeding them this message as message after message after message after message after message. And after all of this collection of hard-hitting truths, he's about to deliver some defining questions for them. They have to determine whether or not they are in, whether or not they are these followers of Christ that they have said they were. And so Jesus is about to ask some questions. And he's about to give them some of these, these incredible visual illustrations. And they have to know whether or not they measure up. They have to determine whether or not they are truly connected to Jesus and are truly Christ followers. And as he looks at them, he's beginning to understand after them following, he's wondering, he's looking, he knows, yes, no, maybe, almost. And so this study today really could be captured in one word, almost, almost in, almost a Christ follower, or I am in. Almost means almost there, means very nearly. Have you ever almost won a game? Have you ever taken a team to three sets in volleyball and you came down to the extra point and it's just this extra set and it's like you were one kill away. You almost won. Have you almost won a, a, a basketball game when you were ahead and they hit a buzzer beater and you walk away and you almost won? Have you almost received an award for grades yet 0.01% kept you from receiving that award? Have you almost accomplished a goal? Have you almost done something? Have you ever had a child when you go to an amusement park his heart is set on riding a ride. And you come up to this sign that says, this measurement says you must be this tall to get on a ride. Have you ever been the parent to look at the kid and know, I'm not certain. And the kid walks up longing to ride the bumper cars and has been thinking about it for two years because two years prior to that, he wasn't tall enough, but he's hoping beyond hope that we you go back to the same amusement park so that he can ride the bumper cars and he is banking on it and you're hoping beyond hope that when he gets there that he'll be tall enough to ride the bumper cars. Have you ever witnessed that? I've witnessed that with my younger son Isaiah coming to the sign and trying his hardest to stretch as far as he could stretch and have that attendant shake their head and say, sorry, and Isaiah looking at you and saying, I know how to ride ATVs. I drove the Jeep in the backfield. I can't ride a bumper car, but I want to bump dad. And have the attendant say, no, almost, almost, almost. But I'm good at this. I've practiced elsewhere. I know how to drive. I know how to ride an ATV. I'm a brown kid. Almost. Jesus about to give us a standard of measure. A standard that says it's either this, almost, or you're in. And to be quite frank, at that point, it doesn't matter if you're a half inch away or 150,000 miles away. Both are left out. And Jesus is about to ask us today through his word, these very same questions that he asked these followers of the way over 2,000 years ago. Do you meet the standard of measure that says you're in? Jesus will be the attendant that stands there one day, and there will be many people who will say, but, but, I, but. Almost, almost, almost. Grab your Bibles, and we're about to go on a journey. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, and look at verses 13 through 23. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. 
Turn to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to read verses 13 through 23. You and I are going to see that Jesus is going to give these visual illustrations. He's going to give these, these beautiful, beautiful metaphors. And he's going to ask them, are you this person or are you that person? Do you look like this or do you look like that? The reason he's asking these questions today and the reason I'm going to go through this today, the answer to these questions will determine if you are a true Christ follower, if you have had a heart change done by the great heart surgeon, Jesus Christ, if what's inside of you is what is causing what's taking place outside of you. Is there a time in your life where you were measured up, where Jesus reached down and pulled you across the standard of measure and said, you're in. And so as we get to the end of this, you're going to have to ask a hard question. Am I or am I not a Christ follower? Am I or am I not a demonstration of what a Christ follower should look like? Turn to Matthew chapter 7. Let's read verses 13 to 23. Would you stand with me and we'll read it. Let's read 13 through 23. Ready? Read. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus by their fruit you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evil doers. You may have a seat. Jesus <clears throat> opens up this passage by saying that there are these two paths, a narrow path and a wide path, a narrow door and a wide door. And he's giving them the chance to determine for themselves in this moment, what path have I been traveling on? The narrow path leads to life. The wide path leads to destruction or hell. And so there's this sense of Jesus is looking down and all of a sudden the tone of that mountain began to change because Jesus is asking a very, very, very substantial question and I'm asking it today. Are you a true Christ follower of Jesus Christ? Is there evidence in your life that reflects that there's been an inside change so that the outside is changed also? And Jesus says this, that many will travel on the wide road, yet few, he says, only a few find the narrow road. Yesterday, as I was traveling back from Western Maryland with a, a group of men on our Wild at Heart men's retreat, every state that you crossed there was a toll booth. And at the toll booth of each state, in order to cross over, in order to reach the standard of measure to leave that state and get to the next state, they collected a toll. And so as we were traveling, some of us had what we would call a Zoom or easy pass that was stuck to the inside of our windshield. So as you drove to the toll to determine whether or not you could get through, if, in fact, you read the signs, there were lanes that said, easy pass. There were some lanes that said tickets or cash. Now, if you had the little gadget, if you had the little bar that allowed you, you could zoom right through the easy pass and wave at the other guys who were trying to keep up with you. I would never do that, but the thought came to my mind. 
This road was wide. This road was flying. It was full of people. Yet the ones that didn't travel on the wide road, the easy pass road, had to go and stop. And they were required to pay their dues. They had to stop. There was some sacrifice of time. And they could not move until the bar moved up and they could go through. They paid there. They paid now. Now those that were on the easy pass didn't pay there, but they'll pay later. And Jesus is saying this to us today. Some are traveling on this wide road. Some think they're in. They're enjoying their day. They're laughing at everyone else. They don't pay now, but Jesus says there will be a day that you will pay later. The narrow road is more difficult. The narrow road requires some dues. You pay now and you get blessed later. Jesus says, and asking us, what road are we traveling on today? What door do we find ourselves walking through? It's bumper-to-bumper laughter on the easy pass road. It's difficult on the narrow road. Sometimes you wonder if you're going to be able to move on. So Jesus says this, some of you in this room, and as he was looking down off of this mountain, and he was saying, some of you right here are going to be in for the shock of your life. Thinking that you've done enough to get through. Thinking that you have what it takes. You bought the gadgets. Thinking that I'm all right. All along I've been getting through. And Jesus is going to say, there will come a day when you won't get through. Way too many people in our world today live their lives and call themselves Christ followers, yet their lives don't reflect, they don't have fruit that bears, that it connects to Jesus Christ. And Jesus says this, that we should be able to look at someone and see the fruits of Jesus, to see the fruits that's connected to the heart of God living out in their lives. Let me be very frank, as Jesus was over 2,000 years ago, to these followers of the way. If you want to be a follower of Jesus and call yourself a Christ follower, there better be some sacrifice in your life. It should cost you something to be a Christ follower. Too many people want a free ticket out of hell, but not the sacrifice that comes with walking with Jesus Christ. Let me pause and say this. If you've ever heard from a Christian, come to Jesus. It's, it, 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 from there on out, you'll never have another problem in the world because Jesus cares for you. It's a lie from the pits of hell. Coming to Jesus requires sacrifice. But listen to me, there's great joy knowing that you're doing what he wants you to do. Jesus said some really hard things to determine whether or not we are truly Christ followers. Look at Luke chapter 9. The same idea came across in Luke chapter 9. Same person talking. Look at Luke chapter 9, verses 23 to 27. Keep your finger in Matthew. Jesus is having a conversation and Peter is there. And then he said to all of them, verse 23, If anyone would come after me, He must deny himself and take up his cross. How often? Not once a week, not one time post-salvation, but daily you should take up the cross. And follow me, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. And then he says this, What good is it for a man to gain the whole world? and yet lose or forfeit his very self or his very soul. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. Then Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. 
Jesus said, some can gain the whole world. You can be on the easy path of life. You can have all the resources that you need, all the possessions, and thinking that it doesn't matter what's on the other side. But Jesus is saying, you might not be paying now, but you will pay later. When you don't measure up, when you fall just short, almost. Every time in our world when someone dies that's wealthy, very, very, very wealthy, I often wonder, as they stand before God, if they didn't know Jesus Christ, if there's this moment of time where they said, I should have listened to that guy that knocked on my door. I should have listened to that neighbor who tried to convince me that Jesus was the way. I often wonder if they're standing there and they say, God, why didn't you tell me to sell all this? I would have sold everything to save my soul. I think that happens over and over because the minute that you and I die, our very next breath is in the presence of the living God. He will be the person standing by the standard of measure. He will either say, almost, or he will be able to say, come on in and bump your daddy. Jesus is the determiner Jesus is the person, Jesus is the God that will dictate whether or not we are in. And the how to that is based upon a decision that we make prior to seeing him in heaven. Jesus gives some other tough stuff. Look at Luke chapter 14. Look at verses 25 and 26. What does it mean to be a Christ follower? Luke chapter 14, verses 25 to 26. Jesus is trying to clear the crowd again of those who say they're Christ's followers. In verse 25, he says this, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not, what? Hate his father and mother. Now, there'll be many teens in this room want to stop right there and say, I love that, Pastor Jim. I love it. Here it is, mom. I hate your guts, dad. I hate your guts in Jesus' name. There's a lot more added to this. Read on. Anyone who does not hate his father and mother, his wife and his children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my what? Disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. The reason you hate your father and mother is to say that you are willing for the cause of Christ to move away from that parent, that mom or dad says, no, Raise your family here. Get married to your high school sweetheart. Let's live together in this beautiful, comfortable spot. Nothing wrong with that. But if God is calling you somewhere else, then you must turn your back and go and follow Christ. And Jesus is saying, you must be willing to sacrifice your own mother and father. You must be willing to go where most people aren't willing to go for the cause of Jesus Christ. It must be cost you something. Let me ask a question. What's the last thing that costs you something for being a Christ follower? What's the last heat that you've taken because you're a Christ follower? What's the last ridicule that you've taken? What's the last thing that you had to give up so that you could give in to Jesus? Is it a daily thing? Or is it every so often? Jesus is saying we should daily carry our cross. And if there aren't things in our lives where we're daily putting ourselves on the front line and exposing our faith and getting some pushback from it, then you must ask the question, is Jesus or does Jesus live inside of me? John had a dream on, on the island of Patmos. Look at Revelation chapter 3. The same conversation is threaded through the whole Bible. Look at Revelation chapter 3. Look at verses 14 through 18. John is looking at these churches, and he gets to the end of these churches, and there's this church in Laodicea. So he's seeing this vision, and so he's writing about this church. It says this in verse 14. To the angel of the Lord in Laodicea write, These are the words of the amen, the faithful, the true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor what? Hot. I wish you were either one or the other. There's often confusion with this because people say, 
Doesn't cold mean that you're not connected to Jesus? Doesn't hot mean you're on fire for Jesus? Go to the culture and the context. He's referring to the cold springs that would be run through the concrete tunnels, that they would come from the fresh springs. Cold water was refreshing. Cold water is water that they drank. And so cold was good. And then he said, I would rather you be cold and I would rather you be hot. Hot water was good. That's the water they would put on top of the homes and and the sun would bake it and they would take hot baths. Everyone likes a hot bath. Everyone likes a cold drink. And so cold is good, hot is good. But he said, what isn't good is lukewarm, neither cold nor hot. And he said, if in fact, look on, read on with me. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. And so there's this sense that this time of reckoning will call when we come to the measuring stick and we walk up before Jesus post-death. Some of us are convinced, I'm tall enough, I measured up, I've done enough, I've served at Grace Community Church, I worshiped on Sunday mornings, I volunteer in Kid City. I'm an Axis helper. I stuff bulletins. I, I, I. And Jesus will say to you, those things could be great, but if it didn't happen out of the overflow of him living in you, almost. And he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. You can never earn your own salvation. Now, let me just pause and say this in the world that we live in today. There is much discussion regarding how a person receives Jesus Christ. People are writing books. People are discussing this until they're sick, until nausea, trying to determine whether or not this is a proper way to respond to Christ. Listen to me. If there is heart change and Jesus has invaded your life, then there should be evidence of that in your life. Nowhere in the Bible should we ever, ever front load the gospel. Which, what do I mean by that? That you have to do things, that you have to clean yourself up, that you have to work your way up to God. And when you finally get to a point, then you're in. Scripture is remiss of front loading the gospel. It's by grace that you're saved through faith. There is this discussion in our circles today that we want to backload the gospel. Okay, they're saved. Then there should, in order for you to be saved, sure there should be fruit. But we are beginning to judge people backloading the gospel by saying, you need to do, do, do. You need to have this, this, this. You need to have that, that, that. None is good for this conversation. Listen to me. My Bible says this. For it is by grace through faith that you are saved. And it's through Jesus only. You can't earn it, nor can you help keep it. When Jesus invades your life, he's an eternal God with an eternal grip of an eternal a God that wants to hold on to you. No man can ever, ever, ever remove an eternal grip from an eternal God. I often say, what part of everlasting life isn't everlasting? So let's put that out there. You can't front load the gospel and don't dare back load the gospel in our circles today lots of really 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 good people are trying to back load the gospel and so what they do they go back to this point and they say well i'm not certain that person is truly born again because backloading because of this 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 listen god and his son jesus christ is the determiner of that not you So put that out there. And Jesus says, when you come there, is there evidence that Jesus, the living God, has permeated your life so much that the overflow of that produces good fruit? I'm afraid of this, that when we meet Jesus, many people who don't know Christ, think they know Christ, will be spit out, thinking they're in. There's different kinds of people in this room in the link and across the internet that are watching this message. There's some, some that think they're in, that think they have a, a relationship with Jesus because they're home. They've been going to church since the third grade. Or they go and serve at Grace Community Church. Or they volunteer their time. Or they give to the church. They think they've done enough good things to get them in. There's some in this room who 
have never trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They've never come to a point. There has to be a defining point somewhere where you say, God, I acknowledge you as Lord and Savior. I confess with my mouth that you are who you said you are. I believe that you were resurrected from the dead. And I turn from my sinful ways and I follow hard after you. Some of you need to do that. And then there's others in this room who have trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And there's a moment in time where they surrendered their will and Jesus invaded their life. And when he does, by the way, your hands become his hands. The deeds that you do are now supernatural because you are, he is living through your hands. He's, the things that you see are now permeated by the things he sees. It's Jesus inside of you. The things that you think are now fresh and new because Jesus is inside and he is permeating your life. And you are able to do far more than you ever could do on your own. Blanket statement, there are a lot of good people in our world. There are a lot of good people in our world who will almost make it in. That's why Jesus is giving this message. That's why I'm giving this message today. You see, a long time ago, for me, it was a, a point of time. A sweet lady told me when I was just five years old that Jesus is the answer to the sin in your life, Jimmy Brown, that there's hope in Jesus Christ, that you'll never have to walk this earth alone again. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will never depart from you. And to a, a young boy who had his father just leave him, and she told me that there's a father, God, that will care for me, that spoke deeply to me. I trusted in Jesus. I believe what she said was true. And you know what? Doggone it, she was right about that. You trust in Jesus Christ, he never leaves you nor forsakes you. And for the rest of your life, you can have him by your side. Way too many people in the church today are Revelation chapter 3, the Laodiceans. Lukewarm and loving it. Some are lukewarm and don't even realize it. Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 7, there should be a sense of urgency to what you're hearing today. Time is short. Right prior even to our first service today, we have one of our regular tenders just weeping, broken, coming across here. He just walked into our church today, sobbing, wailing. His mom died this morning, and he is broken over a single guy who who loved his mom, who was a big part of his life, and, and he was just distraught over his mom. I mean, death, last night he went to bed, he said goodnight. This morning he woke up and he was, she was dead, and he said, I don't know if I can make it, and we ministered to him. But listen, did you think last night when he went to bed that he ever considered a thought that his mom would die? Some in this room are only a second away from death. And Jesus is saying, have you measured up? Or are you almost in? The same question that he asked then, he's asking today. He also says this, turn to Luke chapter 13. Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke chapter 13. Look at verses 22 to 28. Luke 13, verses 22 to 28. I find it interesting that somewhere down the road, the same discussion surfaced again. Then it says this, Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Look what it says. Read it with me, verse 23. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? Why do you think they asked that question? Here's why they ask it. Because someone that was at the Sermon on the Mount a while back, it stuck with them, where he said, only a few are going to make it. And someone that was there, they went back to the village and said, can you believe Jesus had the audacity to say that not all of us are going to make it in? Can you believe that he said, after he was talking to us, and there were thousands of us there, that he looked at us and he said, by the way, only a few of you are going to make it. Who does he think he is? And so that story began to surface all over the place. And why? Because people began to wonder. And so here we have it again. Look, here it appears again. Someone asked, 
him. Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? Why did they ask that? Because people began to surface the message that he was talking about. And guess what? Some of you will leave here today and go somewhere, and you're going to ask this question. How does Jim know that only a few are going to be saved? And you're going to begin to wonder. Jesus responds to this. Make every effort to enter through what door? Narrow door. Because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and does what with the door? Closes the door. You will stand outside knocking and pleading. Sir, open the door. Sir, open the door. And his response will be what? I don't know you or where you come from. But Jesus, I traveled with you. Jesus, I had the ichthus necklace. Jesus, I had the, the she is and he is and we are family bumper stick series from Grace Community Church. But Jesus, I was an usher and boy, I could ush Jesus. But Jesus, but Jesus, but Jesus, I led a Bible study at Grace Community Church with a bunch of men and a bunch of women, and we stayed together in this holy huddle, all of us together, and we figured it all out. But Jesus, I've memorized all 27 books of the New Testament. But Jesus, but Jesus, but Jesus, but Jesus, depart from me. I never knew you. So he's saying this. We can do a lot of really good things. We can look really religious. We can have all the exterior things that looks like a Christ follower, and we could come to the end of life, and we could get to the end, and we try to bump ourselves up. But Jesus, I did this. But Jesus, I did this. But Jesus, I did this. Jesus, I did that. And he's going to say, almost, depart from me. I never knew you. Please for the cause of what Jesus did on the cross. Don't shut this message out today. This decision is the most important decision you'll ever make. This is more important whether you'll have a child. This is more important to, whether to buy a home. This is more important who to invest your money in. This is more important which vehicle you should buy. This is more important what school you should attend. This is more important than any phone call you will ever make. This is as important as life and death. And Jesus is looking at these people and he's saying, how about you? And so I say to you today, how about you? There should be a sense of urgency to this. Jesus was serious about this. And I picture him on gut check mountain hearing the excuses that they began to say, but does that mean Jesus, if I've done this, and I, because my father's been a Christian for three, and his father, and he's, and we got like three generations of Browns that love Christians. And you know, we've always been in church, Jesus. That's good enough, isn't it? I can begin to see them postulating and asking questions. But a rude awakening was about to take place for some of them, and maybe for some of you. But listen, the good news is this. You can take care of that today. Jesus says in verse 24 here, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. It's the Greek word, agonizomy, which means in agony, in blood, sweat, and tears. The Bible says to work your salvation out in fear and trembling. Make sure you meet the standard. You measure up. Have someone in your life that's keeping you accountable and say, do you see the love of Jesus living out in me? Are there disciplines in my lives that reflect that I love Jesus? Do I carry the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, generous self-control. Are they there in my life? Do I share the gospel with gentleness and respect? Am I sharing my faith? Have someone in your life that's, that's saying, hey, listen, this, this is what Christ followers do. Not because you can check off a list, but because there's this fire burning inside of you and you haven't quenched the Spirit Jeremiah says, there's a fire in my gut, and even if I could, I can't contain it. That's the picture. That's what a Christ follower that's connected to Jesus Christ looks like. Make sure you meet the standard. 
But the problem is this. We like the easy pass lane, don't we? Don't you love it? Don't you love the ones that you don't even have to stop anymore? It's just and drive straight through double lanes. Man, you just make up like 12 seconds of your life. It's awesome. And it feels so good. We like the glamour of things and possessions and retirements. We love the American dream. And Jesus is saying, you better love the Jesus dream first. We have traded Jesus for a lie that somehow says, this stuff will serve me better. It's easier. It's the easy path. It's the wide road. But Jesus said this path might be glamorous now, but there will come a time when you will stand before me and I will say, you don't measure up. It doesn't even matter if you're a half inch away or if you're 10,000 miles away. The same result. That path leads to destruction called hell. It's a matter of life and death. Look on here in chapter 7 of Matthew. It's a matter of life and death. Jesus continues this, and as we read earlier, but take a look. Then he says this in verse 15, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their what? Bless you. By their fruit, you will recognize them. For those of you who are in the link, we just had someone sneeze. Sorry, I had to bless you. By their fruit, you will recognize them. By the way, that was a great sneeze. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Look at verse 16 again. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? The buckthorn. It was a, it was a, a thorn bush during Jesus' time that from a distance, it had a little fruit that looked like a grape. And if you were far enough away from it, it looked just like a grape. And Jesus saying, oh, it might look like a grape from a distance, but the closer you get, the more examination that takes place. When you get into the heart, guess what? It's not the same fruits. From a distance, it looks like it. I go to church and I worship God. And you know, I mow the neighbor's yard. I even pick up their dog poop that comes in my yard in Jesus' name. But listen, from a distance, it looks good. But up close, it's a matter of the heart. It's a thorn bush piece of fruit. It's bad fruit. And then he says this in verse 18. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. A bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Jesus has a great conversation even in John chapter 15. He talks about the vine and the branches. He says, when you're connected to Jesus, literally. There's life in that. And so he's saying that literally there is this tree. And if you went to buy this fruit from this, that was part of this tree, you would know that it's real fruit. Now we live in a world where there's all kinds of imitations. Imagine this day, if this was a real apple tree, Jesus is saying this, if you're connected to the tree, a good tree, a good tree. There should be good fruit. And so what he's saying is this, if you go to this apple tree, you walk to this apple tree and you were to pluck an apple off of this tree, it would be good fruit. In fact, if you were to take a knife and you literally cut this apple open, if you were to cut it open, you could go to the heart and say, wow, that heart is the heart of Jesus. That's been connected to the true heart of Jesus. It's evident. So when Jesus looks at us, he doesn't necessarily judge us from our outside. He starts from the inside out. And if there's been a life change and Jesus has done some heart surgery on you, then there should be good fruit in your life. Then he says this, Jesus says this, he says, however, there's some of you that from a distance like the buckthorn, you look just like this piece of fruit. From a distance, you look the same. In fact, you think that you're good fruit. But the reality is this. Some people in our world think they're connected to the vine. But you're no more than an apple that has been taped to a tree. There's no life in you. 
And it's just there. It's bad fruit. Now, from a distance, it looks good. But the closer you get to this tree, if you were to cut this piece of fruit open and you were to examine the heart of this person who says that they were Christ's father, Jesus was saying, that's not good fruit. And so the question is this for us today. Are we connected to the true living life and vine of Jesus Christ? If we are, there should be a demonstration of it in our lives. Everything we do, it's for his glory and his credit. There is nothing like real fruit. There just isn't. There's nothing like a luscious apple pie. In fact, I brought one today. There's nothing like a really, really, really good apple pie. Have you ever had a really, really good apple pie? I mean, there's nothing like it. And so from the outside, Jesus is saying, it looks like a good pie. In fact, throw a little whipped cream on it. Oh, there's nothing like real fruit. There just isn't. I know some of you want that too. There's nothing like it. It's real fruit. I mean, it's luscious. And in fact, if you were to take it and cut it open and the outside it looks good and you cut it open and you cut yourself a piece of that luscious, luscious apple pie. That's how you cut yours too, I know it is. But you pull this out. You know, the inside it's apple. Scott, Devlin, you want to come? Where's Scott? Scott, come here. There's, this is for you, man. Now, let me offer you this awesome piece of pie, dude. It's a real deal, man. You and Dana can enjoy that and, um, for Jesus. That's for you today. Now, one of my other favorite pies is chocolate mousse. It's one of my favorites. And I love chocolate mousse pie. I'm making a mess up here. Looks good, doesn't it? just, I mean, it's, it's, it looks good from a distance. And Cut that open, chocolate mousse. I mean, from a distance, this thing really, really looks good. In fact, it's Essen House. Del Krupp, where's Del Krupp? Somewhere, Del, this is for you, buddy. Come on up. Del's one of my best friends, and you have to come up on stage for this, though, bud. This is this is really good. I mean, from a distance, it looks looks really good. You got it, man. Just whipped cream, chocolate mousse, and you never thought you. Hey, man, you know, I love you, man. It's for you, bro. Come on up. Looks really good, it's chocolate mousse. Why do you know it's not? <laughs> the closer you get, what do you, what do you notice in here, Dell? You gotta put your glasses on, you, you're gonna know. <laughs> Look at it, man, what do you notice about this good chocolate pie? Kinda looks like dirt in it. I think it is dirt, it's it mud. Is. Here, this is for you, bud. Thanks. This lunch for you, man. <laughs> Don't eat it. It is. It's mud pie. In fact, Isaiah and Ann went out yesterday when I was in Maryland, and they went down to the, the creek there, and we call it Crick in Maryland. Went down to the creek, and they made a mud pie. From a distance, boy, it looks good. But up close, the closer you get, you realize that it's not the real thing. And so Jesus is saying, some will think that they're in, and there will be some that think that they're in, but you will know they're Christians by their fruits, genuine fruit that's connected to the tree. And if it's not connected to the tree, when they get to the end and they stand before Jesus, he's going to say, huh, uh, apart from me, I never knew you. I lost this, a lot of sleep this week thinking about this moment right here. Right here. 
And I prayed, God, send your angels and guard the corners of these auditoriums. You see, right now, there's some of you asking this question. Boy, has there been a point in my life where I crossed over and I repented and I surrendered my will to Jesus Christ and as a result of that, my life went in a different direction and there is good fruit coming from a good tree? Or has there been this almost from a distance? Like, it all looks the same, but there really hasn't been heart change. And you have been trying to earn your way to God for year and years and years and years. And you're realizing that, listen, you can't front load the gospel. You're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. There's some of you here today, man, you're the good fruit marching through the kingdom. You are advancing. And when you breathe your last breath, you're going to be standing before your creator, God, and he's going to reach down and say, come on in. Many will think they're in, Jesus said. Only a few find the right way. Where does that leave us today? Well, the Bible says this. It says, for all, all, that's all. Look it up in dictionary. It says all. All have sinned and fallen short. Short of the standard of measure. Short. Doesn't matter if it's a thousand miles short or a half inch short. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fallen short. Almost. Almost. And you could front load and do 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 and try to earn your way short of the glory of God. Because the wages of sin is death. Eternal death thrown into the lake of fire, thrown into hell. But the good news is this. The Bible says this, if we confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that Jesus is who he said he was, that he was resurrected on the third day, we confess it, we believe it, we repent and say, God, take these sins that keep me short. Cover them with your blood and forgive me. I repent, I walk in the opposite direction and from this day forward, it's all in for Jesus Christ. Then, you know what happens? Jesus reaches across the line at the bumper cars and says, hey, come on in, shorty. And enjoy the hope, the love, not only just the past to heaven for crying out loud, but this rich relationship on planet earth. Listen to me, Grace community. It would break my heart if you've fell short. 45 years ago, a sweet lady told me the good news about Jesus Christ. And she said, Jimmy Brown, this is good news. Jesus loves you. Jesus offers you hope. He promises to never leave you nor forsake you. And he wants to invade your life and live in you. And she said this, Jimmy, you can trust Jesus. And you know what? I just chose to believe her. And guess what? She was spot on right. Because that's what the Bible says. So as Jesus was looking at these followers of the way, some of them started to get a little itchy and wondering, what am I banking on? Is there evidence in my life? Has there been heart change? Or... Will I get to the end and like Isaiah, try my hardest to tell Jesus I did all these things and he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. Please, how does that happen? I believe Jesus said we confess with the mouth. Here's what I believe to be true. There's gotta be a starting point. Confess with your mouth, it says, I recognize Jesus as Lord. I believe that confession means speak back the same words, confess. I believe we confess by demonstrating that we've made an, a, a, a move towards God, that we have this relationship. I believe it must be visible. 
Otherwise, why be afraid to say I'm a Christ follower if you truly aren't a Christ follower? I'd love to give you a chance today to begin that journey with Jesus. Would you stand, please? Don't leave the room, please. Guard the gate, guys. This is important. Would you bow your heads, please? As passionate as I can right now, let me just tell you this. This is the most critical decision you'll ever make in your life. This is a game changer right now. This decision to trust Christ changes everything. So please don't just blow it off. If, if you're in this room today and you're uncertain that, that, that you've ever truly, genuinely trusted Jesus. And, and, and after you trusted him, you walked away and it was like, there's life change. There's, there, there's this new man living in me. My heart is new and I'm feeling convictions I never felt before. I'm being prompted in ways I've never been prompted before. And I'm producing things that I never produced before, not by my own will and volition, but because Jesus is living. If you haven't tasted that, if you haven't demonstrated that, if you haven't sensed that, if you haven't seen that, then you got to ask the question, has there been heart change? And maybe some of you have been in this room today and you realize, man, I just need to trust Jesus. I'm not, I want to make sure of this. I don't want to almost get there. Maybe that's where you're at. And for some of you, this is a day of confirmation. You're just gleaming on the inside because you know that you know that you know. But your heart is broken for someone around you that doesn't. Holy Spirit, powerful, triune God, invade the hearts of your people. Draw them to yourself. I pray that there be awakening in the hearts of people who need Jesus. I pray there to be revival in the hearts of people who know Jesus. I pray that it just be a godly revolution that starts from this moment. I want you, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, to confess with your mouth this, Jesus, I fall short because of my sins. Forgive me of the sins. I acknowledge the work on the cross that you did for me. I accept it. I believe it. I thank you for it. I will walk from this day forward in a new direction. In your power. Sure, there'll be stumbles along the way. There'll be moments when I'm down, but I'll get back up because Jesus lives in me. Today, Jesus, I drive a stake in the ground and I say, I want you to pull me through. It's nothing I did or nothing I can do later to keep it. It's just you. Seal the deal, Jesus. I trust you. I need you. I want you. I will follow you all the days of my life.